Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is to find the lost. This is in a whole series about how to, uh, why Jesus came into this world, that what he wanted to do was to find the lost. You can sit over here if you want. Um, but that's in the way of the camera shot, unfortunately. So uh, Jesus came into this world to find the lost. And we want to look at exactly how he went about this. And uh, the, the, to cut to the chase, one of the most interesting things about it to me is that he finds us by making us think that we want to find him. It's a very tricky maneuver that he does to try to get us to, to seek him, which is really his seeking us. And I think be able to show that in the scriptures tonight. Would you join me in an opening prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together in your name. You are the one God of heaven and earth. You are the Word made flesh. We pray for your presence among us tonight as we seek you in the pages of your Word. Teach us, Lord, what it is to be lost and what it is to be found. Amen. Very nice to see everyone here, sending out love to those of you online and getting the audio file and so on to find the lost, and I want to tell you a little bit about what this Bible study is. In case you're just joining us, Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens, meaning in alignment with the teachings of Emanuel Swedenborg, born 1688, died 1772. The name Spirit and Life comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life. Spirit, which we take to mean that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life we take to mean that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly ourselves. And since Jesus is the word made flesh, what he says of his words applies to all the words of the Bible. We believe they all teach who he is and how to get from hell to heaven. Thank you very much for joining us, good friends. Uh, so let's start out with a scripture where this is very clearly taught. Let's go to Luke in the New Testament, chapter 19, and let's jump down to verse 10 there, because this is where you see this most clearly. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Okay, this is something that Jesus said, and often it's interesting that in Scripture he refers to himself by this term, the Son of Man. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Um, so what does he mean by that and how does he go about that? Let's go back to Luke chapter 15 because the entire chapter, I want to read this whole chapter if we can tonight, the entire chapter is about uh, seeking and finding and being lost and all that. Uh, so let's start at the beginning of Luke 15. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Okay, tax collectors and sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. Uh, this, is, this is interesting. Uh, you may know that the tax collectors back then were much hated. They were under a Roman rule, but there were Jewish people who had agreed to collect taxes from their fellow Jews for the Romans, and the Romans would just say, well, just here's X 
I'm expecting this amount of money out of this city so the tax collectors could keep as profit anything extra they could gouge out of the people. And so they were well known as being terrible. You know, it's sort of like a betrayal or something. They, they were much hated. And the sinners uh, seems to be a term uh, for people who are not following the Jewish law or so on, you know, just sort of like heathens or something. So uh, this is who drew near to Jesus to hear him. Go on. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Mm. Well, these Pharisees and scribes were people who were very steeped in the law and prided themselves on following all of it to the letter. They're not sinners. They're not tax collectors. And they were kind of shocked that, that Jesus is... There was a whole big deal, as I'm sure you know, friends, about who you were allowed to eat with and what would make you unclean if you ate with the wrong type of people and you'd have to go through some ceremonial cleansing. And so they, they can't believe that he's sitting down with tax collectors and sinners and eating with them. And remember what it said. Why are they there in verse 1? Uh, in verse 1, to hear him. To hear him. And they drew near, didn't they? They all came close. They're crowding around and they get close to the Lord, to Jesus, because they want to hear him. Okay, and so how does Jesus react when they're murmuring about him eating with these sinful, betraying people? He spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing." It's a very beautiful and very familiar story, uh, probably to many people out of the scriptures. There's an interesting little detail there, isn't there? What does he mean that you have 100 sheep, so you leave 99 of them in the wilderness? Why, why not leave them in your barn at home? Or so, you know, what, are they do, what are they doing? Out? It's, he's, he's telling this story about the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are the 99. And uh, so in a certain way, he's saying, you're actually in the wilderness, but I'm here to find these lost sheep. Uh, go on. And what does he do when he finds it? And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors. Oh, did we? We probably did the one before that. We did. When and he found when it, go found ahead and it, do it again. Yeah. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. It's a very important detail on his shoulders, and I'm sure you've seen that artwork and so on that, that has the lamb or the sheep around his neck and so on. He lays it on his shoulders, and how does he feel? He's rejoicing. Okay. And, when and then when he comes home. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Mm. Okay, so that's the parable, those three verses, and then Jesus makes this application. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Okay, there'll be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 just people who don't need any repentance. Uh, could you put your finger in there? I want to come back to that in a second. Just turn to the right and go to Acts chapter 17, verse 30. This is Paul talking to the Athenians. And in 17, verse 30, he says this important statement. Uh, 
Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Commands all men everywhere to repent. All men everywhere. There are some people who believe that repentance was only something that needed to be practiced by the Jews or other silly theories, but that's not what is taught. That all people have to everywhere have to repent and try going all the way back to the book of Revelation and then we'll back up through the three epistles of John to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. What do we have there? 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All should come to repentance. So flip back now, if you will, friends, if you're with me, to 15 verse 7. In Luke. In, I'm, Luke 15, 7. Uh, where do you find 99 people who need no repentance? There's no such thing. I mean, we just read twice. Everybody is in the market for repentance. What are you talking about? 99 people who need no repentance. So I think he's a little tongue-in-cheek uh, when he says 99 people who need no, need no repentance. I think what he means is they think they need no repentance or whatever. But, but, uh, uh, but he referred to them earlier as being in the wilderness. Now, people realize, of course, that this is a parable about the Lord and his relationship with people. And so what is he saying here? Isn't it pretty clear that the hundred sheep are all these, are the, the Pharisees, the scribes, people who were steeped in the law, they're practicing Judaism and everything. But the Lord is coming to go after the lost sheep, the tax collectors, the sinners, the people who are not sort of part of the thing. They've, they've wandered off in some way. And when he convinces one of them to repent, He's rejoicing, and, it, and he lays it across his shoulders. Now, this is a spirit and life Bible study, and our belief is that Scripture has spirit within it and has life within it. And that means that all these kind of details have an inner meaning. Sheep often have something to do with goodness in Scripture. The shoulders have to do with power, and that image of the shoulders is an image that once the Lord has picked you up, he has the power to never let you go. You'll be sustained, and it's both shoulders. It's two shoulders, right? He lays across bo both shoulders with his truth, with his love. He can keep us in a state of salvation forever. That's what that detail of the shoulder, he could have slung it over his hip or done whatever, but it's shoulders in there because that has a specific meaning. So then who would his friends and neighbors be? Well, it's pretty obvious from the next verse that they're the angels, right, in heaven, he says there's joy in heaven, just like the neighbor. So here's a picture of the Lord, and he's going out. Now, the people are, are sheep, but the neighbors are the angels up in heaven. And he asks them to rejoice with him. In other words, the Lord shares his rejoicing with these angels over the fact that just one, one person turned around is a source of tremendous joy. All right, and let's read the next parable. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? 
And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Mm. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's very typical of Jesus, as it is of the Old Testament prophets, to tell the same story twice. I mean, that's the same story, right? But, but with certain changes. It's also very interesting, and it hints at the correspondential nature, the, the symbolic nature of Scripture, that people are referred to in almost one breath as sheep and pieces of silver. You know, things that in this world have nothing to do. You know, people are not sheep. Sheep is not coinage or whatever. And Swedenborg explains this second story as having to do the woman so often as a picture of the church, uh, like the woman clothed with the sun and so on. And uh, so this is a picture of the church, and the church has lost some of its truth. Ten pieces of silver have to do with truth. There's, a, there's some truth that's been lost, and she's hunting high and low until she can find it. When she finds it, again, calling the friends and neighbors and rejoicing because it's found. And again, this is likened to repentance. It almost suggests, does it not, friends, that maybe the truth that was lost was the need for repentance, was that idea that we need to repent. Let me tell you briefly what, what repentance is. Um, it's basically the way Scripture teaches it. It's a matter of self-examination, uh, being able to recognize that something's against the Ten Commandments in particular, laying that aside and living your life without it. That's what it's talking about, turning things around. And we see wonderful examples in the New Testament of this kind of turning things around. Now, what happens in verse 11? Then he said, a certain man had two sons, mm. and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Yes, this is what every parent fears, isn't it? <laughs> the, uh, you know, not a great outcome that you, you divide up your estate uh, ahead of time amongst your t two sons, and one of them goes off and just blows the whole thing, uh, doing incredibly stupid things far, far away. Good. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began hmm. to be... Was that a coincidence, that famine after he spent everything? Okay, there's a severe famine in the land. And he began to be in want. Hmm. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Mm. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Yes, and certainly in the Jewish system, you were not allowed to eat pig. You weren't allowed to eat pigs. You weren't allowed to eat pig food or anything like that. Go on. But when he came to himself... Oh, an interesting phrase. He said... How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? He came to himself. What an interesting phrase. So here he is. Boom, the light turns on. Oh, wait a minute. My, the hired servants in my father's house are well fed, and here I am just dying of hunger. I so what's the plan? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Oh, that's sort of like repentance a little bit, isn't it? Like he did some self-examination. He realized, oh, that was, that was terrible what I did. You know, that was really foolish and awful. I'm going to go confess that. 
and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. That's very humble, you know, to humble to feel like I don't deserve, I don't deserve to be part of that family. I don't deserve that wealth or anything, but just can I come in at like an entry humble level and just be one of the servants? And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Okay, so when did the father come toward him? It's when he saw him, right? So the son came back, then the father saw him and had compassion and ran. That's right. And, the and now the son had a choice at that moment, I think, because he could have said, um, hi, dad, great to see you. You know, like you sort of read the signals and you figure out, hey, dad doesn't feel so bad, you know? So maybe I just won't bring up that whole sin thing that I was going to mention there. Uh, but no, he, go, he goes ahead and he said, no, wait, I've got a speech. You know, dad is all weeping and hugging him and, and he's just, wait, wait, I've, I've got something I've got to say. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Mm. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Must have felt very odd to him because he is just, destroyed his life and now he's going to be dressed in all this finery and he's being celebrated you know it'd be an odd kind of feeling wasn't it like he's unworthy go on and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost he was what he was lost oh he was lost and is found oh he was lost and is found and they began to be merry. okay let's hit pause for a moment there he was lost and is found. Now, wait a minute. We had a very clear story at the beginning of all this about a man who had 100 sheep, and one of the sheep got lost, and the sheep didn't do anything. Far as I could tell, the sheep was just out there being dumb. They're good at it, right? And the sheep was just out there being lost, and the man looked all over the place for it. Oh, and he finally found it, and he picked it up and put it on his shoulders and carried it home, and everybody rejoices. And the woman lost the coin. She looks all over the place. She's, the coin is not going, here I am, under the dresser. You know, she, she has to look all over the place. She finds the coin. She's all happy. In what sense? He was lost and is found. How, how did he get... I don't see, the father never came down there and looked for him. It just, he's not, it's like, not like one of these movies where the father's going into every dingy part of town and looking to drag his son out of the brothel or whatever, to, you know. Uh, the, the, the father's far away. He never, how is that seeking? How did he find him? How is that seeking for him to be, oh, I'm just over here, you know, still where I was. What happens? All that happened, like how, how was that lost? You can see how he was lost, but didn't the guy do it himself? He came to himself. He said, wait a minute, I'm being an idiot. I could be eating plenty if I just go home and say that I'm sorry, you know, which I genuinely am and everything. And he came to himself and went home. How was the father seeking him? It's only when the son came into view, the father ran out. Now, as soon as he saw him, father's all about it, right? Bang, hug, love, you know, give the ring and the robe and the shoes and the sandals, you know, the fatted calf, 
the whole deal as soon as he comes within range. But the total... So isn't this a story from two different people's perspective? Doesn't it seem like the first perspective is from the Lord's perspective, which is like, I'm going out through the mountains and looking for you. You're lost. I'm hunting for you. And when I find you, I'm so happy. Same with the woman. Goes looking for the coin. Finds so happy. She's doing all the looking. The coin isn't doing anything. Not helping. But then the story flips around to what it feels like from the inside, which is that the son, it seems like the way that the father got the son back was somehow to magically at a great distance implant in his mind the idea that he would get enough food if he would just come home. Like it seemed like it was just the son's own idea. No, nobody's looking for him. Nobody seems to care that he's out there. Uh, he just has to decide, I've got to go back. And only when he takes the action to go back, does the confession everything, does he come back into the Father's love. Let's read the rest of this because it's so magnificent. Uh, and they began to be merry, and then 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Mm, always disturbing to hear at a distance. <laughs> so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Mm, so the, the brother was just so happy that he was going to get to see his brother again. He was angry oh, and okay. would not go in. Oh, he wouldn't even go in the house. Yeah, ever been in that state? <laughs> I've been there. I, it's, I'm not even going in. <laughs> Forget it. You know, he's upset. Now, what does the father do? Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. His father came out. Now, how did the father know the son was upset? He, he never came in. But the father goes out. Huh. The father goes out and pleads with the, with the older son. Go on. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can you feel it? It's just, is that a human emotion or what? You know, I've been doing everything right, and I don't get anything special. I'm working out in the field all day. You're already in there partying without me. You know, go on. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the <laughs> Lovely fatted, way to put it. <laughs> you killed the fatted calf for him. It's kind of unbelievable. What are you doing, like pouring on the special treatment for this guy who did the worst thing that you could think of doing? I mean, it's the stupidest, worst thing ever, and he's getting this big celebration. Well, I'm not even going to be part of it. And Go the, on. And the father said to the son... Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Mm. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Yeah. So he just said, hey, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. Because really, this, the older son had gotten much more through the years than the, you know, the younger son's been living off by himself. The, the older son has had this relationship with him. He's out in the field and so on there together. Now, so what is this part talking about? Who's the older brother in the symbolism? He's the Pharisees and the scribes, isn't he? 
Like you got two groups of people that Jesus is talking to. It's so amazing to me to picture it because Jesus is talking to two groups of people and he's talking about both of them at the same time. And both of them could feel a little sort of like, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't hold any punches about the other group. You know, they're likened to someone who'd squandered their father's livelihood in this riotous living and it wasted it all in harlots and all this. And, uh, but the way he describes the older brother that he's having a hissy fit because, you know, what, why, what, what am I, chopped liver or something? He's, he's upset. And so Jesus is describing them. And do you see the divine love in his entreaty? In fact, doesn't it say that he goes out and he pleads with him? Mm-hmm. In verse 28, isn't this parable the very thing that I just talked about? Isn't this parable a way of pleading with the older son, with the Pharisees, with the scribes, saying, I've always been with you. You've always been with me. You've been following the law. We're, we're together here. And he's entreating them and trying to bring them back into the house. They're all mad because he's having this enjoyable time helping these other people repent. And they're all upset and saying, hey, you never did. So the love and the layers in this thing are just incredible to me. And also so interesting to me in our topic tonight is that when you're the lost person, you don't feel like anyone came and found you. I mean, that son didn't feel like anybody came and found him. He had to get himself back on the reservation and then the love came in. But, but it's, it didn't happen until he went back. Isn't that true? That is very, very intriguing to me. Okay, let's read some other scriptures. This is just the fun of it, of the scriptures, isn't it? Let's turn to the left, go all the way back to the five books of Moses. I want to go to the fifth one, which is called Deuteronomy, chapter 22. Hmm. Chapter 22. It's just so fun. This is what we do in Bible study every night, is to try to bring these passages together and see how they talk to each other. Each one has a certain light in it. And you bring them together and you start to see what it's talking about. Look at the beginning of chapter 22, just those first few verses there. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. Oh, this is about your brother's sheep getting lost. Your brother meaning just any of your fellow human beings or whatever, right? Don't, don't watch your the sheep go astray and do nothing about that. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. And if your brother is not near you, or if you do not know him... If you don't know him. You see, brother could mean anybody. You know, it could be a total stranger to you. But it's your fellow human being. If you don't even know them, then what you did do? Then you shall bring it to your own house, and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. Now, isn't that fun? Doesn't that have seeking and losing the whole deal? Like, okay, so your fellow human being lost their sheep then your fellow human being has to seek that sheep at your house. If you don't know who they are and you can't return it to them, then you take it into your house. It's a lost sheep. You take it into your house, and then it'll be with you for when that other person seeks to find it again. Go on, just one more verse, I guess. You shall do the same with his donkey, and so shall you do with his garment. 
with any lost thing of your brother's, which he has lost and you have found, you shall do likewise. You must not hide yourself. Okay, so there's, there's an interesting little hint there uh, that we too are supposed to be involved. We've had a whole series lately uh, in this Bible study of what Jesus came into this world to do. And I can't think of a single one that he did that he did not instruct his disciples to also do. Like everything he does, he wants to invite us to participate in. Even raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, all this, he always wants us to participate. And here's a little scripture about us participating in finding what's lost and bringing it into our house. What does that mean in terms of other human beings? Your house is a picture of your will or your heart. Take it into your heart and hold it there until, until someone comes and seeks it from you kind of thing. I just thought that was fun. Uh, now, let's turn to the right and go through Joshua and Judges and Ruth and let's get to 1 Samuel chapter 9. I want to read it some length in here to... Uh, we'll have to skip some of these verses, but it's just too awesome. Beginning? Let's start right at the beginning. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekoroth, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. Just wanted to work your, uh, your, your <laughs> linguistic ability there, dear reader. Go, go on. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. Oh, a nice, easy, one-syllable name. Thank you. Okay, his name is Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. This is the very verse from which that expression, head and shoulders above other people, came from. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. Oh, they were lost? Oh, there were lost donkeys? We're reading a lost donkey story? Okay, go on. So we've just been introduced to Saul, and the first thing you find out about him is his father's donkeys are lost. And Kish said to his son Saul... Please take one of the servants with you and arise. Go and look for the donkeys. Look for them. Seek them. Son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Go look for them. So Saul, we just met Saul, and his first assignment is to go find these lost donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha. That's right. But they did not find them. Uh-huh. Then they passed through the land of Sha'alim, and they were not there. No, they weren't. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. See, that's how you seek. You got to go all over the map, right? You got to look for who knows where they ran off to. You got to look everywhere for them. Go on. When they had come to the land of Zuf, Which is surely the end of everything because it starts with a Z. Anyway, go on. <laughs> Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. Ah. Become worried about us. Yeah, that's right. Stop <laughs> worrying about the donkeys. You know, we've been gone long enough traveling all over the place. He's going to start worrying about us more than he's worried about the donkeys. So maybe we should not continue. Go on. And he said to him, look now, there is in this city a man of God. Oh. And he is an honorable man. That is the person who the book is named after. That's Samuel. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. And they have a whole debate about what they could give him because you're supposed to bring something in your hand. And they've been traveling for quite a long time. 
and they go ask people, we're just sort of fast forwarding a little bit here, um, that they wanted to find this man of God because maybe he can help them find their donkeys. And so, uh, so look at verse 14. So they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Aha, uh-huh, because he was going to go up and do this sacrifice. Now, look at this. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come to me. Now, it's so nice when it works like that. I don't know about you, friends. It doesn't always work that way for me. The Lord always doesn't doesn't tell me, oh, tomorrow you're going to meet so-and-so, and and this is exactly what's going to happen. But it's so fun when that works that way. Samuel's been told, oh, here's someone's coming, and I've got plans for him. What does Saul think he's doing? Finding donkeys. What does the Lord think he's doing? Is the Lord seeking Saul? Mm, mm. Okay, let's read on. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Oh, this is not a donkey situation. This is a rule the nation situation. Okay, go on. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? Now, don't you like that nice little moment of irony? You know, doesn't that happen in the movies sometimes where you walk up and ask the person, well, which is the way? Well, you're talking to him. You know, that's him. But he doesn't realize it. Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. Mm. And tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. What? What did he say? I will tell Do, you... What, doesn't he mean, I'll tell you all that's in my heart? That's not what he says. That's not what he said? I'll tell you all that is in your heart. Wow, that's cool. Wish I could meet somebody like that. that <laughs> if it's good, I don't know. But uh, so Samuel said to Saul, you will... He, he just says, you will. He doesn't say, please, could you... No, you're going to eat with me today, and I'll let you go tomorrow, and I'll tell you all that is in your donkey-seeking heart. I'll tell you what you really desire. And what does he say in verse 20? But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago... How does he know about that? Do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. They have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? What? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? Whoa! Did you hear that? On whom is all the desire of Israel? Saul is wandering from Zuf to Shalim and all over the place looking for three donkeys and the whole nation of Israel is looking for him. The Lord is looking for him, looking for a ruler. And he thinks he's on a donkey chase. You remember the guy in Luke 15? He thought he was just going home. Well, I'm just going home. To, you know, I want to go home and get some food. The dad 
has bigger plans for him. And so Saul is very humble and he says, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm nothing and I'm nobody and all that. And, oh, look in verse 24. What part of the food did they give to him? So the cook took up the thigh. With oh, its, um, in my translation it says the shoulder, which is interesting uh, because we had shoulders in Luke 15. Mm -hmm. All right, but it can be a thigh. That's all right. All right. And then, uh, let's see. And then he called him up in the next morning. Look at verse 26. They arose early, and it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. And as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on. But you stand here a while, that I may announce to you the word of God. The word of God. I'm going to tell you the word of God, and what did you do? And Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? That's right. And then he has this whole description of here's what's going to happen to you. Here's the next thing that's going to happen to you. Then look at verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. You'll prophesy with them. You'll be turned into a different person. God is with you. And in verse 9, God gave him another heart. So Saul's really been transformed. It's been, been an exciting donkey hunt. You know, it didn't quite go the way that he expected it was going to go. And then I love this little detail towards the end uh, that he's prophesying with the prophets. He's a completely different person. The Spirit of God is pouring forth on him and he's prophesying. And then he goes home to his uncle finally and look at verse 14. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? So he said, to look for the donkeys. That's right. That's all it was. Mm -hmm. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. Aha. Uh -huh. And Saul's uncle said, tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. Samuel is a prophet. He's a man of God. What he says comes true. What did he tell you? What did Samuel tell you? Mm. What does Saul say? So Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> donkey situation is taken care of. But, but about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel just, had said. neglected to mention that little detail <laughs> of the fact that he'd just been anointed king of Israel. Okay, but what did he tell you? Oh, the donkeys have been found. You know, <laughs> I'll say, yeah. Um, isn't that a fun story? Does that give you sort of a picture, friends, of how you're looking for something... Reminds me of what Alfred Hitchcock called the doctrine of the MacGuffin. When he would create these movies, he would uh, always have something that the people in the movies are all worked up about trying to find, and you don't care about it all, but you just get to watch them chasing this thing, sort of like the football in an NFL game or something. doesn't matter after the game is over. And um, so Saul is looking for these three donkeys, and he thinks that's what he's out doing. And he's actually despairing. And then he thinks he's going to the man of God to get help with a donkey problem. And he doesn't realize he's already talking to the man of God. He met him farther out, just like that father coming out, rushing out to meet him before he even got there. Samuel's already out there talking to him. And Samuel has the Lord whispering in his ear, that, oh, Saul's going to come by tomorrow. He thinks it's about a donkey situation. Uh, I'm really actually lining him up to be, uh, 
you know, anointed because the desire of all Israel is upon him. He's sought out. Who was seeking whom in that story? Isn't that exquisite? All right, let's uh, turn to the middle of your Bible to the Psalms. Now you may know a little factoid that Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. Maybe the longest chapter in all of Scripture, I think. And we want to go to the very last verse of Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 176. <laughs> Might have, be easier to go to 120 and back up. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Yes, just a nice little phrase about how the commandments are a part. Didn't it say that you repent? that the, the lost sheep was about repenting and turning back. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. The commandments are part of how the Lord calls us back. Uh, go through to the right through Isaiah into Jeremiah, if you would. I want to go all the way toward the end of Jeremiah to chapter 50. Just read a few little verses in here. Mm, so fun. Okay, look at 50 verse 4 there. In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together. With continual weeping they shall come and seek the Lord their God. Okay, they're seeking the Lord their God, they're weeping. In those days and at that time is always code language for the second coming. This is what's eventually going to happen. Um, the New Jerusalem and uh, people will be seeking the Lord. Go on. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces toward it, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten. Mm. Isn't it like those shoulders? That perpetual covenant. You'll just be safe up there. The divine power is going to hold you, never let you go. Go on. My people have been lost sheep. Oh, have they? Their shepherds have led them astray. Oh, dear. Now there's a little wrinkle. Shouldn't have read that. Uh, it was actually a shepherd problem that the shepherds actually led the sheep astray. It's bad when your shepherds actually scatter the sheep instead of taking care of them and gathering them together. wonder what that means. Nothing to do with the ministry. I won't take it personally. Go on. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. Yes, there's a nice little lost sheep. And isn't that a beautiful sense of seeking the Lord and wanting to be joined in that perpetual covenant because the covenant is really an image of how both parties are coming together. Both parties are seeking each other and wanting to be in a relationship. Turn to the right to Ezekiel. Let's go to 34 where we get another similar passage. And doesn't that also suggest that the shepherds are people who are supposed to be engaged in finding the lost sheep? Like it's not just the Lord's job to find the lost sheep. It, it's... Uh, it's our job as well, people's job. Chapter 34, let's read the first six verses there. This the, is also a little tough on shepherds. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Mm. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. Oh. The weak you have not strengthened, uh -huh. nor 
Nor have you healed those who were sick. Ah, you were supposed to strengthen the weak. You were supposed to heal the sick. Nor bound up the broken. Mm. Nor brought back what was driven away. Nor sought what was lost. Yes, there it is. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them. Mm. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. You remember Jesus saying in the New Testament that he had compassion on the crowds because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Go on. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Mm. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. Yes, that's a bad condition. Look down in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. From a Christian perspective, this is a prophecy. It, first of all, another one of those little hints in Scripture that it's the Old Testament God himself who came in the flesh. He said, I myself will seek them out. And then you see him in the New Testament saying what we opened tonight with, that uh, the Son of Man uh, is here to, to seek and to save that which is lost. Go on. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. Mm, go on. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and at all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There, shall, there they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. Mm. I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost there it is. and bring back what was driven away. Mm -hmm. Bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. Isn't it kind of fun to you notice that they all came in the reverse order, didn't they? Seek the lost, bring what was driven away, bind what was broken, strengthen the weak. Go on. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. Yes, we can stop there. That's great stuff, isn't it? And, um, oh, let's just turn to the Gospel of John for one final scripture here tonight. I want to go to John chapter 12, verse... 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Verse 33. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Yes, so he's talking about the crucifixion, that if he's lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. Such an interesting phrase. So do you see why we would read that, that, that uh, all through these different stories... There's the perspective of the Lord that he's seeking people, but because he wishes to leave people in their freedom, it is going to appear on our end as if we're not being sought, as if we're abandoned, as if we're starving and out feeding the pigs. Uh, we're not going to feel like someone's hunting for us. And yet what Scripture tells us again and again in what we just read is that the Lord will be seeking for us, searching for us on a cloudy and a dark day, wherever we've been scattered all over the mountains and the hills, wherever we've ended up, uh, the Lord will be seeking for us. 
and how he seeks for us, is this not true, friends, is that he plants at some level, it must have been the Lord who brought the prodigal son to come to himself and to think, wait a minute, what am I doing? You know, that moment when he's feeding the pigs and he's just starving and he thinks, wait a minute, my father, you know, my father's servants have have plenty of food. Uh, What am I doing? I need to turn my life around. Uh, There's this rumor that goes around in Christianity sometimes that the Lord came into the world to do everything for us and there's nothing we have to do. It's quite ridiculous and that's not what you see in these stories. Yes, he came to seek what was lost, but how he seeks us is by making us, inspiring us, inviting us to seek him, to long for him, to have a desire for him, and to figure out on our own, all the way down there in riotous living land that's now in famine, because we've acted out, to think to ourselves, how am I going to get back? How am I going to get out of this situation that I got myself into here? I think what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to approach my father and say, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but would you be willing If I humble myself here, would you take me in as one of your servants? Could I just be back in your household somewhere? He thinks it's entirely his own thing. All the way home, he's got to be a little nervous. Wouldn't you be nervous? A little nervous? You blew all the... So, oh, you're back, I see. You know, but what do you think you're going to get from dad when you get back there? Uh, it's no guarantee that he's going to be all happy. In fact, it's probably kind of a shock when he's, the old man lost his mind in the years that I was away. He's rushing out here and hugging me and weeping and, and putting all these expensive clothes on me and everything. Um, by the way, Swedenborg says that, that the, the robe that he puts on him, so the suggestion is that he's, he's sort of wearing these shabby clothes. Then the Lord puts his robe on him ring on his hand, and these sandals on his feet, and then the fatted calf. And those elements, just for the fun of the correspondences of it, Swedenborg says they mean um, that that robe is that just sort of general truth, like the understanding you have about yourself, about who the Lord is, about how good he is, what heaven is, how to get there, everything that you've learned by going through that tough journey, going out there, spending some quality time with the pigs, deciding to come back, you get this, this cloak of truth. You get this robe of just this most basic kind of understanding, this humility and so on. Now, that's the robe. The ring means, uh, in Swedenborg's language, the conjunction of good and truth. It's, it's where your heart and your mind come together in a different way, you know, because you've been through something. You've been through a temptation. You decided to repent, you turn back to the Lord. So you get something in your inner self that conjoins uh, love and truth in yourself, and you get it in your outer self too. Your outer self gets cleaned up because you get these nice shoes, you get, get nice sandals to wear. And the fatted calf is this joy. 
there's a time, I don't know if how much time you've spent with the pigs, good friends, but, but I've spent some time out there. And uh, there certainly is a feeling you can have when you spend time with the pigs that joy is gone. Like it's a thing of the past, you know, and you will never feel good again. I mean, you really feel that way. And uh, so to have this music, the dancing, the feast, you know, it's like, whoa, you know, it's, uh, it's just overwhelming. Uh, and you don't feel at all deserving of it. That's part of what that robe is, is the understanding of like, I don't deserve this. This is the goodness of the Lord. I see something different about my father than I did before because now I see the generosity of spirit that's there. He's not angry. He's not vindictive. He didn't even bring up that whole thing at all. He said, let's put that behind us. Move forward. It's so great you're back. I'm just happy to see you. You know, so you see the divine love. These are all pictures of things that we get when we go through repentance. When you lay that sin aside and you come back into the presence of the Lord, then you see these wonderful things and you come into this heavenly joy and all that music and that dancing, didn't we find from the earlier parts of Luke 15 that that was the angels all just singing. It's hard to credit, isn't it? It's hard to believe especially when you've made a mess of your life and then you turn around, you just like, who would think that any angel would care or take a second look at you, let alone be rejoicing about your little baby steps in the right direction. It's just an unfathomable thought. And the thought that the Lord rejoices, wouldn't you th think he'd be kind of upset or something? The idea that he's just, just so thrilled that you made that decision. That's the decision. He calls all men everywhere to repent. He wants everybody to go through repentance. He goes out and he invites the older sibling. Come on. Come on into the, the party. We're all having fun in here. It's going to be Pharisees and tax collectors and sinners. If I have my way, we're all going to be in here having, having a great time. I want to invite you and I love, I just see so much divine love in the fact that he goes out. He leaves the party. He leaves the younger son and spends quality time with the older son. And I think that's such a picture of what the Lord was doing in this world. Because part of what he was doing was seeking the lost sheep. But are the Pharisees not lost? These 99 who are, quote unquote, in the wilderness, who, quote unquote, need no repentance. Hello, no such person was ever born. Uh, the Lord is reaching out to them too, reaching out. And you may remember Matthew 23, that amazing chapter where he's just like haranguing them. And at the end, he says, I wanted to gather you under my wings. You know, I wanted to gather you under my wings. Uh, that's, that's what the Lord's love wants to do. Wants to bring us in, gather us in. Doesn't matter what you've been through. You're, you're back. That's hallelujah. You're back. So I hope this evening, good friends, to have outlined a sense of that duality of how the Lord says he came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. And yet how he does it is not by just walking around and looking everywhere. And then if he grabs you, sort of press ganging you into heaven or coercing you or taking away your freedom or something like that. He says instead that he's going to draw 
all people. I've heard the 12-step programs referred to as a program of attraction, not promotion. I think there's something similar here in Jesus' ministry. Didn't it say what was the very first verse we read this evening? Luke 15. Seems to me that it said right there in Luke 15. What was, the first, what was that first verb there in Luke 15? What might that be, dear reader? What was that word there? That he, that which word? <laughs> 15 verse 1 in Luke. All the tax collectors and sinners drew near to they him. They drew near to him. It was working. They were coming in to see him. They drew near to him. The tax collectors and the sinners wanted to hear. What's he saying? What's he saying? They're looking for a way home. Maybe this guy knows the way out. You know? Maybe this guy can bring things together in my mind. Maybe he can patch that hole in my soul. Maybe this guy's got something to teach me. It was working. They were drawn in. People who weren't feeling the, the tractor beam quite so much were the Pharisees and the scribes who were murmuring about what are those losers doing here. Uh, but he has to go out in the field to them and he says, please, join, join, join the fun. We're all, we're all having a great time. I invite you to repent and be with me in heaven, the Lord says. That's, that's what he wants. He came into this world to seek us by inspiring us to long to find him. Thank you for your attention, good friends. Let's close with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when we're in those dark places, it's hard to even believe that you exist or that you care or that you have the slightest notion of what we're going through. Reveal to us bit by bit, Lord, as we do our repentance and walk toward you, how you have been inspiring us with that desire to walk in your direction. It is your desire. You say in your scripture, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. You teach us again and again in your word, Lord, that it is your love that is drawing us. You just, you know us well. You have all knowledge. You know that what's gonna work for us is for us to feel like we've gotta pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off, and somehow get back to where you are. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, that we may be found.